Modern orthopedics is a rapidly evolving and exciting field that continues to push the boundaries of what is possible with treatment. Advances in technology, including minimally invasive surgical techniques and the use of robotics, have revolutionized the field of orthopedics, allowing for patients to quickly begin the rehabilitation process and can significantly improve the outcomes of orthopedic procedures. Here is your behind-the-scenes pass to one of the most well-established orthopedic practices in the DFW area. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Modern Orthopedics. My name is Shannon. I'm the Director of Marketing here at Orthopedic Specialists of Dallas. I have today Dr. John Zavala. Uh, he's been with the practice for 12 years now, and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself today. So I, I grew up in Dallas, went to medical school at UT Southwestern. I did my residency at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. My wife is also from Dallas, so our goal was to move back. Uh, we moved back in January of 2011, which is when I joined Dr. Bernie, and uh, we, we started orthopedic specialist Dallas at that point. We love being back home. <laughs> you know, we're, we're both, we have three kids. I have uh, Victoria, who's 14, O'Neill, who's 12, and Rebecca, who's nine. Awesome. So when you started with Dr. Bernie, you guys were just in Rockwall, correct? You were? Yes, we just had a little four-room office across the street, actually. Uh, we moved twice, and then we built a building here that is our current office, I think, in 2016. We uh, originally interviewed with Dr. Bernie back in, I guess, 20. 10, and it was just a little four-room office across the street on Ralph Hall Parkway, and we started there, and then we moved to a different office as we grew, and then we built uh, this building back in 2016, which is our current space. Now we've grown to seven doctors. Ten. <laughs> ten doctors. Ten doctors. Ten doctors <laughs> and uh, four locations, three offices and four locations now. Okay. All right. So what, why did you decide to become a physician? Uh, my dad was a physician, so my dad was a general surgeon. Okay, so you always knew you wanted to be one? I did. What made you pick orthopedics? So we had a next-door neighbor was a guy, a doctor named Guy Driggs down at Methodist Hospital in Dallas, and he was our next-door neighbor. I broke my right arm three times in one year, and he was the one that took care of me. We also had another good family friend in our neighborhood, Anthony Arizosa, mm -hmm. who I worked with, shadowing with during college, and um, I just, every orthopedic surgeon I met or interacted with was always seemed well-balanced and nice people. So you are, uh, you know, what we call a sports medicine trained doctor, where you kind of explain, you know, what that means. Well, uh, if you look at the history of sports medicine, it started in 1964 with Jack Houston uh, at the Houston Clinic in Columbus, Georgia. And they just started covering sports teams. And I remember talking to my mentors in the past and they would always say that, uh, it was kind of an anomaly at that point that someone would go stand on the sideline and cover a sports team. And uh, Jack Houston started, was kind of the founder of sports medicine. He then, uh, David O'Donohue, started AOSSM, which is Sports Medicine Society, the year, a couple of years after that. Um, and they invited, I think, 72 people to be part of that society. And that's what started kind of orthopedic sports medicine. So sports medicine is more of, you know, if you think about orthopedics in general, a lot of sports medicine is just orthopedics, but it's you know, now tailored more towards treating sports injuries, you know, keeping people active, keeping people uh, doing the activities they want to do. Okay. 
And um, you're the team doctor for Wiley High School. You're also the Rockwell Lacrosse team doctor. So what does that entail? Like sidelines, kids getting hurt? Yeah, it involves just, um, you know, being there on mostly football games, collision sports, uh, to be on the sidelines and be available to triage kids, help take care of kids. And then, you know, obviously, I would say the vast majority of sports medicine and injuries are non-operative. And it's mm-hmm. mainly uh, kind of managing those and seeing, getting kids back to play. And fractures and... Fractures, sprains, strains. Yeah. Uh, the vast majority, you know, obviously don't require surgery, but it's uh, you know, managing them in the sense of getting athletes back to sports. Is there a story that you can think of uh, when you're on the sidelines where a kid got hurt? Yeah, there's lots of story. I mean, the one that stands out to me is a... Uh, football player who actually had a stroke oh wow during a game and How old was he? 17 wow so a very unusual case in the sense that we thought maybe he had a uh, concussion a head injury and end up that he actually had a stroke and so we we're managing getting that you know kid off the sidelines getting him you know obviously in an ambulance and to a you know higher level of care on top of being a sports medicine doctor, you also uh, do joint replacements. That's a big part of your practice as for shoulders and knees. Yeah, I, when I came out to practice, I did a, a sports medicine shoulder reconstruction fellowship, and I kind of made a decision when I started practicing I wasn't going to really do any hip work. And so I really have just focused on doing shoulder and uh, knee replacements. You know, shoulders, very complex joint, but it's very fun to work on. And, you know, shoulder replacement patients are some of the most uh, happy patients in the sense that they don't experience that much pain postoperatively and are extremely happy with their functional gains and pain relief after surgery. I've worked with you a long time, and I know that, you know, 10 years ago, whenever we were doing, you know, setting people up for joint replacements and knee replacements, that's a little bit different now. It's You want to talk about how it's the technology and stuff has improved? Yes, the, the technology has gotten significantly better on both ends for both knees and shoulders. And we use a technology in, in both uh, that I implement uh, that involves additional imaging other than a plain x-ray for the shoulder. It involves a CT scan. Uh, that way we can map exactly the axis of the, the glenoid or the shoulder socket, uh, evaluate the bone in more detail and actually generate a custom guide for the patient to ensure that the the glenoid or the socket of the shoulder is actually uh, in the appropriate alignment. It also gives us additional uh, information as, as far as the amount of bone there, the amount of uh, angles of what we call retroversion, so that we can appropriately plan to potentially put an additional implant in uh, that helps normalize the socket back to where it naturally belongs because with arthritis, the bone gets worn out. And so we would need to try to get that, restore that access. Uh, and similarly with the knee, we do a you know, additional uh, MRI full length alignment films to help restore the patient back to their you know anatomic axis. And so uh, it's a technology called vision air where we use that to preset the, it generates a custom guide to cut the bones and the uh, to generate that axis back. And so it decreases the amount of time in surgery because everything's pre-planned and it done uh, allows us to, obviously everything's double checked mm-hmm. during surgery, but uh, it helps us uh, get that axis back for the patient and sets the rotation uh, of the implants. So it's kind of a, 
everyone's needs different, a customized need for... Yes, yeah. it helps generate custom blocks to get that access back. Does it help with the recovery process? Or? Uh, we've seen less pain uh, with it, um, just because the traditional way was using a, what we call intramedullary guide that went into the bone. And so without having to do that, uh, patients seem to have less pain. A big topic right now is cartilage preservation, uh, stem cells, PRP. What do you do um, with that in this practice? We definitely implement PRP. I've been doing PRP since I came out in practice. I mean, most of the PRP studies have really shown that it's for uh, very beneficial for uh, tendonitis, particularly tennis elbow, Achilles tendonitis, patellar tendonitis. Those studies are very well getting drawn out, and we're hopefully getting some coverage from insurance on those because, unfortunately, PRP is a, a cash-only process at this point. Um, but I've, I've had excellent results with tennis elbow uh, patients to uh, inject them at the tendonitis site with PRP and prevent them from having surgery. You know, cartilage preservation has been, you know, from a surgical standpoint, has been on for quite some time. I mean, we have uh, biocartilage, we have uh, cardicel, we have different types of ways to uh, preserve cartilage in surgery. But I think that's one we all certainly implement if needed for patients. Can you explain the difference between uh, PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, and stem cell, and when you would use one over the other? So PRP, platelet-rich plasma, is uh, drawing off the patient's own blood, uh, spinning it down, and isolating a platelet-rich layer that then has certain growth factors that we uh, have been shown to help heal. And platelet-rich plasma has been around for a long time. It was actually used in cardiovascular surgery for uh, open-heart surgery. They would put PRP over the sternal uh, site to help healing. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly not new. Um, I think uh, in the late 2000s, um, it got a little more traction. I remember Heinz Ward was a player for the Steelers who got an MCL injury, who was injected with PRP, who was able to play, you know, in the Super Bowl a couple weeks after an injury that may have taken four to six weeks to heal. Um, and so certainly PRP got more traction at that point. Uh, we've certainly seen it evolve to from something that was pretty experimental to the sense that it's you know, becoming very much more commonly used. And so that's PRP is essentially drawing the patient's own blood. Stem cells can be derived from either taking the patient's own bone marrow. Uh, there's also embryonic stem cells. There's amniotic stem cells. Um, but I think the studies really show that the best results are from taking the, from the, from the patient. And these, these are all done in office. PRP is none in the office. Yeah. I think if you're harvesting stem cells from a patient's bone marrow, a lot, of, a, a lot of people will do it in a surgery yeah. center to just uh, have it be a more comfortable experience. So after your orthopedic residency in Washington, D.C., what did you do after that? So we moved to uh, Greenville, South Carolina. I worked with Dr. Richard Hawkins at the Stedman Hawkins Clinic, and among other uh, attendings there. So we spent a year in South Carolina, and then I ended up uh, spending about half a year with uh, Dr. Angus McBride in Birmingham, Alabama at the uh, American Sports Medicine Institute, which was also run by Jim Andrews, or Jimmy Andrews. Mm -hmm. At the University of Alabama? <laughs> uh, we covered the University of Alabama and Auburn University. That was the year after Alabama had won the national championship and the year Auburn won the national championship. And so we were involved taking care of um, foot and ankle injuries for both University of Alabama and Auburn University that year. So what sets orthopedic specialists apart in your mind? So we are a community-based practice. I think when I came out, 
uh, when you finish orthopedic training, you can decide that you're going to be uh, an academic orthopedic surgeon uh, where you're primarily research based at usually uh, most of those are at a um, you know medical school based center. So for Dallas, it would be UT Southwestern. Uh, where you you know are involved in that aspect about it, you know the other uh, transition is to do community med practice, uh, where you're essentially a private practitioner um, taking care of you know families and people in the community, and that's you know more where I wanted to go, just to you know be able to. I don't live here. So. <laughs> I don't live in Rockwall. So. <laughs> but I mean. But you can service a smaller, you know, community. In that yeah, community. you can always obviously be someone who's in the community, taking care of people in the community, and not necessarily be, you know, de- dedicated to just doing research. You know, sports medicine injuries, for the most part, you get. I would honestly say probably the most common sports medicine injuries are honest hand and foot and ankle injuries. Those are probably the most common. Most of the vast majority don't never require surgery, um, but those are. By far and away, the most common things we get consulted for on on certainly on sidelines or seeing athletes, it's just the, the nature of the sports. You know, and with certain sports, obviously jumping sports, where we are seeing basketball, volleyball players, you know, there's a lot more uh, patellar tendonitis, knee pain related injuries from the from the jumping aspect of the sport. Obviously, if you get into the throwing athlete, uh, we see a lot more overuse injuries, particularly with um, baseball and softball. Uh, but similarly with, you know, even volleyball players, we, we see a lot of overhead uh, overuse injuries. The softball pitchers tend to get a lot more biceps tendonitis issues uh, just with the underhand mechanism and the deceleration as they come through the throw. You know, even with the overhead throwers, we get a lot of uh, shoulder elbow issues. And a lot of times if the shoulder is not functioning properly, they get elbow pain because their shoulder is not moving normally and they get you know transferred pain into the elbow. We also see uh, stress fractures a lot, you know, particularly in runners. Uh, but most sports medicine, again, injuries are those, fortunately, that don't require surgery that we can generally, you know, incorporate our physical therapy team uh, to get people back to their sports. I don't have curveballs. <laughs> Crazy thing, I think, about just being, you know, a surgeon, a doctor, is that it's honestly the simple cases that sometimes are the most humbling, mm-hmm. you know, something that you just uh, assume is going to be a smooth surgery that, you know, ends up, you know, just having complication and, you know, everyone hates complications, but, you know, at the same time, everyone gets them, mm-hmm. um, can't avoid them. I think those are the most humbling in the sense that you have a fairly s- smooth case that you think when by all accounts great at the time of surgery and then the patient doesn't do well and it's just having that relationship with the patient and you know thankfully for me everyone's few complications i've had have, have all worked out uh, but i think those are the most humbling aspects of taking care of patients dr zavala what is the most rewarding part of working with patients i think it's also just getting them better in medical school i remember you know going through in my internal medicine rotation and felt like i was endlessly documenting the illnesses of patients, you know, and not changing things, just you know, managing medications. And that's one reason I was drawn to orthopedics is that you can actually fix something, a surgery and make someone better. I think those have been the, the biggest reward is I think is when you have patients that you get them function and they can do things that they were, had lost the ability to do and they don't have pain. And that's when, or for athletes is just getting them taking a, potential injury that requires surgery and getting it back to doing the sport and activity they love.
Well, thank you for spending your time with us today. 